This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 902, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you who are washing hands and wearing masks where appropriate. I'm Josh Flanagan. This is my co-host Connor Kilpatrick back from the wilds of Hello. deepest Germany. No, you weren't Germany. I mean, close, close, close. That's fine. Close. This is pick of the week number nine hundred and two. Nine hundred two. Yeah. Every week for the past nine hundred and two weeks. <laughs> nine hundred and two weeks is a lot of weeks. Anyway, you slice it. Doesn't even count the weeks off. No, no. Or the other things that happened in those weeks. Anyway, one of us picks the book they like best from the Shaka comics, and we call that the pick of the week. We will talk about that comic, which is why the show is named as it is. We will talk about other books from the week, which means the title is a bit of a misnomer because it is not inclusive of everything else. We will talk about the patron pick. That came along much later. And we have a thing here about listener mail. I'm not going to make promises. No, but you know. I can't do it. Fingers crossed. There will be spoilers. 
That I can promise you. I promise you we will talk about things that happen in this book that if you had not read them yet, you would be like, hey, but honestly, right after this point that just happened, it's your own damn fault. Connor, you had the pick. I did it. I had, I think, 28 comic books this week. The largest week by far this year. I had uh, 20. I added a few. I think I had 25 after all was said and done. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. But good news, there was a bunch of good things and things I enjoyed. And I had several mm-hmm. candidates for pick of the week this week. However, the winner ended up being Alan Scott, colon, The Green Lantern, number one. Tim Sheridan is the writer. You know how to say that name. Kean Tormey? Kean Tormey is the yeah. artist. Matt Herms is the colorist. And Lucas Catoni. I'm always suspicious when I see a new letterer name. You well, know, you're pretty stable in the letterer game for the most part. Yeah, and you're like, what happened to Dave Sharp? That's the creative team of this book. This is the, this is a, the second miniseries of the oh, – no, the third miniseries. I missed the second one. That was off for that one. The third Justice Society miniseries, we had The Sandman, Wesley Dodds. Then we had uh, last week's Jay Garrick, The Flash. And now we have Alan Scott, The Green Lantern. This was the best one. I mean, I really liked the Wesley Dodds one. The Flash one was well-written but had not great art. But this this is the whole package here, telling a wonderful Alan Scott story – Again, set in the period-specific appropriate time frame of the Justice Society. You ended up skipping this, right? I did. I looked at the preview, and I thought about, you know, with all the books, you know. Yep, I get it. It's a big week. So Alan Scott, as we know, was a media magnate in Gotham City in the 40s. He has been retconned to be a gay man. That happened in the New 52. And we never really explored that aspect of the character in the old time frame. We only really saw that in like the newer stories. Mm-hmm. And so here, they do some really interesting things with it. This story is like a parallel story because something from his past is coming back to haunt him. So we see him in the present day, quote unquote present day, as Green Lantern. And then we see him back in the war with his war buddy slash boyfriend. So the story opens up where, and this was the preview if people read it. I, this is why I skipped previews of it because it would have made this issue underwhelming. He's in J. Edgar Hoover's office. J. Edgar Hoover's mad that Alan Scott is not participating in the Justice Society, which is apparently in this version of the story a group put together by the government Hmm. and he says look i gave you my name i let you put me on the poster i took some publicity photos but i work alone very much in the lineage of gotham heroes hoover being hoover pulls out a giant file slaps on his desk the file says alan scott and goes who's alan scott and he says i know everything about you you're gonna play ball with the justice society and then so he opens it up and we see photos of him kissing a man and all this stuff and Hmm. it's very hoover-esque i mean this is what hoover did yeah oh yeah totally and then it gets creepy at the end of the conversation, he's leaving the office and Hoover says, oh, by the way, come to my party on Saturday. Yeah. It's a very private, exclusive party and Clyde will give you the information on the way out. So that sounds like it's blackmailing him to go to a sex party. That's a kind of a baller move on Hoover's part. You're going to blackmail him on the one hand and then be like, hey. He's blackmailing him both hands. He's saying in addition to. I thought he was then hitting on him. After the fact. No, he's saying also, in addition to you actively joining the Justice Society, you're also going to come to my party on Saturday. So that's where it gets creepy and dark. Mm. But also very Hoover-esque. So starts off strong. The historical game is strong. And we get a really nice flashback to the war and Alan Scott and his, he's not, is he Green Lantern at this point? I don't think he is. With his secret boyfriend, you know, because they're in the 40s, they're in the war. And the war, we're talking World War II. He's not. Yeah. And so they've got to keep it undercover. They both work for this special scientific unit. So Alan Scott was a media magnet, but also a scientist. And of course, because of the 40s. And uh, they're trying to capture this special crimson energy under the ocean floor. And so he's built this container to capture it. It all goes wrong. And in the present day, there's some something happening with energy that sort of ties into uh, what happened in the, in the war. There's, there's this crimson energy flying around Gotham City, hurting people and damaging things. And that was cool. But then also there's a really great moment where Green Lantern is kind of overwhelmed with trying to save everybody in Gotham and the Flash shows up. And we know the Flash and Green Lantern to be the best of friends later on, right? But now Green Lantern sort of resentful of having to be involved with all these people. So he doesn't really like the Flash at first, at least in this issue. They're kind of cold to each other. So I was like, this is interesting. We're putting them in a news position. We're investigating a part of Alan Scott, a character I really love that we haven't before. And we're setting up what I assumed will be getting to watch Jay Garrick and Alan Scott become best friends because right now they're not. And so that's also a story I've never read before. So there was a, it was a lot of... Were they of, always? Well, in the comics, they were kind of, you know, the Flash and Green Lantern, they, you know, they sort of carried on that tradition through the okay. Justice Society. So they made they just made them the best friends. Right. I've never seen it, how it came to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like reading JLA year one. 
okay. you know, where all the characters come together for the first time and you get to see them all sort of become friends. So there's a lot of little interesting things that happen here in a character I really like who hasn't been explored very much. And also the Kian Tomi art is really strong, solid superhero work. There's some nice dynamic panels. The character work is really strong. You always know who you're looking for. They are, they look like adults on like the flash art. Mm-hmm. I really like this. I really, I mean, there was some really great comics this week, but in the midst of all the hero daring do, there's bits of historical weight and darkness. And the, the preview page for the next issue, they show him in Arkham Asylum being about to be electroshocked. And it says, next conversion. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a real darkness at play in terms of having to hide his gay identity in the 40s. Let me ask you this. How did he get his powers? He found... Didn't he find the lantern? It's not part of Oa. It's For some reason, lantern. I'm see, I'm seeing. I'm going to tell you just like I don't have, I don't know this. But when I said it, what I thought was, I feel like there's a flaming branch or something that <laughs> hits him, or like a tr- there's like a train. There's something to do with a train, but I don't know why I think those things. Because his whole thing is like the his Green Lantern. Is there something to do with wood? It's not the same ring as the one like Hal Jordan wears. It's a different right. Yeah, ring. no, it's not an it's more magic based. He can use it to go through walls right, and things like that. The powers are slightly different. So according to Wikipedia, thousands of years ago, a mystical green flame fell to earth in ancient China as a meteor. A voice in the flame predicted that it would, it would act three times, once to bring death, once to bring life, once to bring power. And then uh, the third prophecy in 1940, a meteor metal fell into the hands of Alan Scott, a young railroad engineer. Following a railroad bridge collapse, the flame instructs Scott how to fashion a ring from its metal to give him a message. So he just, he just found the ring. Mm, cool. I like everything. But the trade part was right. Mm-hmm. So there's something to do with wood. <laughs> wood was the weakness. I don't know if that's right. That's it. It's his yellow. Yeah. Which is hard. A lot of things are made of wood. Especially then. They hadn't really worked out plastics yet. Right. He tries to go through a wall and hits a stud. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. What kind of walls was he going through? Blaster. I know, but there's wood in there, <laughs> pal. <laughs> He's a great stud finder. He just sticks his hand in the wall and moves it until he hits something. There's a real easy joke that you just put there, and I'm not going (laughs) to touch it. I'm really enjoying these Little Justice Society miniseries. I don't know what they're leading to. I don't know what the point of them is. I don't understand DC's publication strategy at all, but whatever. I'm enjoying them, and I really like this one, and I'm looking forward to more. I like the suggestion that you think anybody does, like that there's a plan that sent somewhere. I don't know. The boss just quit. Who the hell knows? The guy in charge of Discovery is like, I don't know. Dude, that guy, he's got a cool mask. Another book that I read only because you told me I should definitely not miss it, and I'd only because I was gonna because the week was so big, I wasn't looking for any extra books, which ended up being a strong pick of the week contender, was Dead Space's Dungeon Number One from IDW, written by Scott Snyder, art by Hayden Sherman. Scott's on a roll with these Dark Spaces books. I gotta say, like, for a while, you know, I was not into a lot of the books he was doing. Yeah. It wasn't really that they were bad. It's just they weren't connected to him. But now, you know, from Wildfire, which Hayden Sherman also drew, to the um, the airplane. Barnstormers. Barnstormers. I thought this was excellent. It just feels like he's newly refocused, you know, and doing Yeah, it feels like old Scott Snyder. By old, I mean pre-Batman. But better. Yeah, oh yeah. He's more seasoned. Yeah, and just just like doing less. Because his thing for me was always that he did a little too much yeah i think in a, in a comic and and uh, it really it's really strong i expected nothing of this and i i haven't read all of the dark spaces that he no. didn't write i read a couple of them but again i went in here completely you know blind i didn't know what it was going to be and i kind of didn't really expect very much and and pretty quickly I, I was like i'm very interested in this then there's a sort of reveal that happens near the end or like two-thirds of the way through it yeah. You're like, oh, that's messed up. And then and there's one more at the end, and you don't really know what to think. Yeah, the first couple of pages, it looks almost like it's a monster story. Mm-hmm. But it's quickly revealed that it's not. It's a serial killer story. Yeah. And it's fucked up. Yeah, his dungeon it's is fucked up. It's definitely fucked up. This is not the kind of thing I normally like, but I, I was really impressed by the construction and the thought, how the how the dungeon thing with the blocks was worked out. And I kind of couldn't. So this is the kind it. of thing I love in other mediums. This is like mm-hmm. I love movies about crime and serial killers. I like reading thriller books. Like this is something mm-hmm. I you just don't really get this stuff. 
at this mm-hmm. high level in comics all that much. Yeah. That doesn't that's involve a zombie thing. or an alien or something. This is a really fucked up story about this family, a retired tech guy who bought a giant house in the woods and literally stumbled upon a manhole cover, opens it up, and it's a entry to a dungeon, literally, where a serial killer kept a victim in this compartment full of blocks that can extend from the wall as far as he wants them to. So he ends up putting them into these horrible, painful positions. Mm-hmm. And we get to see that. At one point. It's just, it, 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 it was, it was dark. I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. I'm really glad to hear that. Cause I, I, yeah. I read, I thought actually that was actually quite good. And, and I, I was, I was very into it. I also want to give Hayden Sherman uh, credit. Yeah. I think that uh, we, we, we knocked him around a little bit on um, the, the wildfire one because there were some storytelling issues. I think at times he was also doing too much. He was trying too hard and it was making yeah. things unclear. He had issues with being able to tell the characters apart from one another. This was in general much stronger in such a way that I was like, well, is this the same guy who did the, and it was just so much clearer. Yeah. The, the storytelling Fewer was vastly characters. improved. Yes. Yeah. But those are the things that are important to me. When you say riveted, I was riveted. Like I was. Yeah. Every page turned, I was like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? And in a good way, you know? Yeah. That's you awesome. Know, Scott's got another book next week. He's really, I don't know if he, like, banked them during mm-hmm. the lockdown or what, but he's got a lot coming out. Yeah. He works with a lot of unknown artists at this point, but also, you know, you had Tula Lotte on, on Barnstormers. The book next right. week is with Dan Panosian. He's sort of using all sorts of different types of folk, and I like it. You can take that Batman money, and you can afford to do these weird, dark books that he really likes to do. Yeah, well, he's doing them at, you know, IDW and Boom, and or I guess just IDW, that's his spot. So, you know, at least they're paying for it. Was Barnstormers IDW or was that? Dark Horse. Comicsology originally. It was Comicsology and then Dark Horse. Yeah, that's right. He's working his angles is what he's doing. Might as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally should. I Hate Fairyland, number 10. This is the second volume. And I assume you're you're not in What's on this What's the legacy number on that? Uh, let's see if he does it he doesn't do it i don't think they do that in fact it's not even volume two or anything it just is what it is actually no it says volume two number 10 in like the indicia but not anywhere else i think i dropped off three quarters way through the first volume sure i'm not entirely sure why i like it but they're very sort of light and entertaining when they show up and i really like the combination of sort of looney tunes whimsical with sort of hyper violence that's just very silly. And there are a lot of visual gags that I associate with like, I don't know, like Ren and Stimpy type gags. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a thing here where like there's a lot of, like she's a young girl, right? In appearance, but she's very old and is super violent, but she goes to prison basically. And they take her, her little dress off. And it's, so it's those sort of Austin Powers jokes where they're covering her up. And, yep. But she's disgusting. Everybody thinks she's disgusting. Like her dress has like green smoke coming off of it. And, you know, they have to wash her with like jets of hot water and she's miserable. And it's just these little gags that sort of get done in the pages that are really kind of basic, but you don't actually see them done that much that well. It just feels like a cartoon. What is the overall story? Right now, she basically she got out and she went back to the real world. And because she grew up in fairyland and has become a psychopath. Her life is pretty boring and she doesn't fit in, obviously. And so mm-hmm. somebody gives her a job to go and re- rescue somebody else from fairyland and she doesn't want to take it, but she has no other choice. And so she goes in there and she can't get back. There was a problem. And she also had to kill herself, something like that. It doesn't really matter. And now, like in this one, she had to go to prison so that she could get the former queen, Claudia, to help her do something. And every time, you know, something's about to happen, there's a flip, there's a reversal and it, it sort of moves her. It's, it's, there's no like reinventing the wheel. There is, it's all pretty straightforward, but it's done right. so solidly. And I also can't help but be impressed with just the breadth of things that Scotty Young has ended up doing, you know, after being right an artist, uh, an artist with a very unique style. And it, it's weird because this artist, Brett Bean, who does it, you know, I don't think if I put it next to Scotty's art that I would be like, they're the same. But without it, like, it, it feels like I'm reading a book that Scotty drew, even though he didn't. It's the Jean-Francois Beaulieu art. Yeah, I know. But even but even still, the art definitely has that. Colors, I mean. Not the art, the colors. It's stylistically very similar. Pet Bean didn't draw before. Was it Scotty in the original volume? I think Scotty did the first, like, arc. Like, the first. Was that his last work? Four or five issues. Work? I'm not really sure. I'd have to look at that. Brett B, he definitely worked on the previous volume because I remember looking that up before. It just when it comes out, and even there's like a Tales of Fairyland, which is like a little anthology thing that he does. 
in between them. He's, he's doing a little, you know, he's doing get a little empire going there. Do we think Brett Beans is real name? Yeah, I know. A lot of comic people don't use their real names. People don't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But I guarantee you that it's not Scotty under a pen name. He's like, I'm not drawing <laughs> shit. No, he's definitely not. <laughs> I just really enjoy it. It comes up and and I, I never talk about it. And I think it, it deserves to be talked about. It's it's super fun. That letter you got last week really got you, didn't it? That email. <laughs> I don't remember what you're talking about. I didn't listen yet because I haven't finished all the books in that week. You did the email about what books don't make it onto the rundown. Oh, oh right. You know what? I got to say, like this week, there were a lot of books. And I actually had kind of a hard time figure out what I actually wanted to talk about. Well, we remedied that problem. Yeah, sure, it's true. So you weren't here when Wonder Woman number one or 801 came out. This is Wonder Woman number 802 or two. Mm-hmm. Tom King's ongoing Wonder Woman story drawn by Daniel Semper. Ryan and I talked about that one. I like this issue much more than the first one. What have you thought of one and two or two specifically? I don't know what to make of it yet. I don't know if I like it. I don't not like it. It's not like, ugh, this is garbage. It's it's like, because it's Tom King, I sort of know to expect some thoughtfulness, and I think that that is in here throughout it. But I thought that this issue was extremely well done. It was just, I'm reading it, and I'm just like, wow, I don't know if anybody has taken the lessons of Alan Moore and applied them more directly to sort of thoughtful comic book storytelling in that sort of, you know, symmetrical. In this one, basically, there's sort of two stories going on at the same time. And we move yeah. back and forth between them in a way that makes sense narratively and keeps both stories going at the same time. Yeah, I mean, this one confusing. even more so than yeah. Alan Scott did the same thing, right? But this is like, they're symmetrical. It's a story. Oh, this was, I was like, the level that this is being produced at is amazing. It's amazing. And to think like, the guy who does this would listen to our show before he ever did anything. And, and despite listening to our nonsense, he turned into a person who could do this. I think he owes us a fee. <laughs> what the beak, Tom? I, I know the artist gets a lot of credit, but the consistency of these books throughout many different artists points to the fact that the writer is having a huge impact on how these are produced. And it's, it's, oh, very yeah. I like specific. to think he's got a giant murder board. Yeah. Like his office has one wall is one Roman, one wall is the penguin. One walls, whatever he's currently doing with Mitch Gerards. And he just has these giant structures. The structure of the book is brilliant. And then if you want to go in, you know, just the drama of Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman facing off in front of each other, you know, in the center of, a, of an empty battlefield where there's, you know, a whole army waiting around the side and him having to follow orders and go through this thing. It's incredibly dramatic. Yeah, as what happened last issue, the Amazons are now persona non grata in America. And, you know, last issue, Sergeant Steele tried to take her down, but didn't work. I think he got his hand chopped off. Mm-hmm. And so now he's brought the army to take Wonder Woman out. And Steve Trevor has no choice because he is a soldier and has to follow orders. And so he has to go to her and say, you got to give up. We got a whole battalion here. And uh, I just kind of laughed when he said that. I was like, she's still a Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. It's not like you would say that to Superman. So it doesn't go well for the battalion, as expected. I really wanted mm-hmm. to point out the Daniel Samper and Tomu Moray art. Yeah. Tomu Moray on colors. Beautiful. And also kind of shades of Clay Man-ish a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar style. But Daniel Samper can do it monthly. As you go through, <laughs> he can do more than one a year. It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's way out of him. There's a bit here where like the faces are all pretty close in. It's not medium shots, really. Is it page four? It's it's like through the whole thing as you as you look like we're closer in on the faces and heads than we normally are, and we stay there, and it creates this this sense of urgency and of of, of sort of claustrophobia, and yeah. you're sort of in these people's heads. And and again, it's not a thing that's super clear when you're reading it, but I was I'm looking at the pages. I'm trying. So let's see. Um, Page 13, it's sort of the, the fight starts between Wonder Woman and, and yep. whoever this other one is. Everything's just pushed in a little more, you know, until right. the fight starts. But even then, then we push back into the swords and then you flip and we're close up to Steve Trevor's face. There's yeah. not like, so then again, and then when you get to the, when she flips the tank over, the wide shot has much more impact, literally right. in this case. It's very claustrophobic. It makes that moment feel quiet and intimate. And, you know, I, again, I don't know how, what if that was in the script or not, but that part was handled really well. I think the art was fantastic. 
Yeah, it's, it's a really good looking book. I've definitely seen Daniel Samper or Samperay's mm-hmm. art, whatever, however you say his name, his art before, but I think this is much better looking. The colors from Tomo Moray are yeah. terrific. It's a good looking book. I forgot that the caption boxes are narrated by the King of the United States until about halfway through the blue and white caption boxes. And at one point he's talking to someone and he says, your mother. And I was like, oh, yeah. fuck, we're doing that. We're giving them all kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's in the future. But that's not what's happening? Or is it? The caption boxes are the the narration of the guy from the first issue, the, the secret king of the United States. Yeah. I don't know when it's taking place. I have no recollection of that. Yeah. I definitely read the first issue. <laughs> that's okay. It's a lot I of did. I like Sarge Steele. He's a great asshole foil. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a misogynist. He's all kinds of things. And it's good. It's good. His frustration is fun. It's a brilliant piece of work in his technicality. I don't quite know if I care so much about the story. I think it's a good Wonder Woman so far. The thing where Amazons are, you know, sort of being expelled from the U.S. I don't know if I buy that, but I'll go with it. I'm going to read it. I just don't know anything. It's the latest in a long line of we don't know what to do with Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. Sure. So we'll try this. No, and I think that the Wonder Woman characterization here is pretty strong. We'll make her an allegory for all the problems in the United States right now with others. I just mean like it showcases her as a warrior. And they have that thing where she's like, I don't want to kill you people, but... If you attack me, I'm going to smash you with a tank and you're probably going to get killed. And I, I thought that's a good line because sometimes like she's the princess of peace. I'm like, well, that kind of works, kind of doesn't. It fits a little bit into the Darwin Cook Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And that's my platonic ideal of Wonder Woman. And I think right. obviously she's like, that's- I'm going to hit you with a tank if you yeah. don't leave. I think that is honored here. He's toned her down. Back when she would pop up in Batman, he basically wrote her exactly as Gal Gadot. We even went to the dialogue and mm-hmm. you know, the, the syntax and all that stuff. He's toned her down here because she's not wonder woman anymore mm. i'm enjoying it. i thought this issue was stronger than the first one which is a little too much but this was fun yeah it's really well done undeniably so now let's talk about his weirdest book the penguin it's such a weird book <laughs> i think i like it a lot but i'm also I do, but not why is it happening sure I, do. I don't know what the fuck I like that it's super super serious there's no smirking or whatever and then the last page is Happy Force of July. And I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Is that it? They're, I know like they're an existing thing, but they weren't called the Force of July before, right? They I, were the... I, I don't know. I've definitely heard of the characters before. Major Victory for sure. Yes. It's a very strange book. It's all that I don't understand. conversations. It's the entire thing, yeah. And I, don't, I didn't notice it. I don't know, man. I've Other never seen a Penguin book like this. Where the help beats up Major Victory in the ring. You know what? The Taming of the Help into what he was in last issue into this one it's great just have him stand back there like this is my natural place <laughs> he's supposed to be 90 something it's so weird it's so weird the penguin is returning to his perch in gotham but he has no goons no hired goons he refers to them as goons he calls them <laughs> goons to their face tom king knows what's up he, does. he knows what's up yeah he can't get any hired goons because all the hired goons are caught up in that bullshit gotham war storyline so he has to go get some other goons and that involves him recruiting the the force of july which are all patriotic sort of heroes or villains or whoever they've been through it yeah they're over (laughs) they're over it they just need to get paid this is a recruiting the team issue where he's recruiting his uh, army to do whatever he's going to do go back to gotham and reclaim his strange very strange Like, I think at first I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. And then I, like, I love the help issue, yeah. but I was like, I don't think I like this story. I don't really want to read a penguin book. And now I'm just, I don't know. It's, it's like half car crash and half like ballet. I just, I said, what is this? I can't <laughs> put a finger on it, but there's enough stuff going on. That's interesting. I don't even need it to pull together. Just make everyone weird. But I think I trust Tom King's. Yes structure that it will at least pull together in some fashion he's very lucky that a that he has a ton of talent can do things like this but that he has now developed i think probably an audience like us you know who can trust him yeah most people start off with this weird shit and people like i don't have the time for this but he can get away with it you have no idea what's going on through eight issues and then you know he'll pull it together it doesn't always work but it'll be interesting to see if it works or not paladin and axes the one shot from Image Comics written by Jerry Duggan and art by David O'Sullivan. I didn't. 
very strange. Yeah, no, this you're you're, you're seeing a theme here. This, this, this episode. So this is a one shot. So it's a a short story. Let's see, page count. Uh, the whole book is seventy six pages. So yeah, seventy odd pages. Seventy two. Yeah, because it covers. So all right, let me try to do this quickly. There yeah. is a man, and he was a very good guitar player, and he was called the Paladin of Guitar. Presumably by some, and by the way, to know the word paladin in the 70s was some real nerd shit. He, of course, didn't make it. And then he ends up being a roadie guitar tech for, you don't call him the roadie, for a a huge band. There's a plane crash, and he's badly mangled. And then he's saved by underfolk, or as you know them, garden gnomes. So basically, apparently there's a lot of magic in the world, and the gnomes, they repair his body, but his job to go collect all the magic objects, which are things that are cursed or give people power or whatever. It's Robert Johnson's deal with the devil, whatever. This whole thing is funny and weird and well done. And if you said this is the same guy who's doing that thing in the X-Men, I'd be like, really? But it is. But it doesn't matter because page nine is a picture of him throughout the years aging As you see him young and smiling and the smile goes away and he <laughs> ages and he becomes lined and it is a heartbreaking page it is i was yeah, like it's, it's all that's a gut punch buddy it's his passport photos but it's not a triumphant like look at all these things i've done in all the places no. i've gone it's just like it's 1967 1975 so not even that long. oh wow yeah oh that looks like one of those meth pictures then eight years yeah i really enjoyed the plane crash where mm-hmm the asshole lead singer buys a classic car from some dope in the countryside and puts it onto the cargo hold of the plane. And he's like, don't forget to tell the pilot that we've added a car to the weight of the plane. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then he does it and the plane crashes. Just parked it, didn't tie it down, nothing. Just totally fucked things up. As somebody who's worked in the entertainment industry, I was like, I feel your brother. Yeah, that tracks. Yep. Yeah, it's like all the magic stories, uh, the myths of music are real, right? Like all the people who sold their souls to be a better player or there's even a sly reference to the devil came down to Georgia. Like yeah. all those stories are real and his job is to go reclaim them and it doesn't always go so well for him, mm-hmm. but I, I thought it was fun. I yeah. really liked it. And, and you know, whatever the 70 pages, like, you know, it, I didn't feel it. And this is a week that was really heavy. You know, I thought it was great. It was really fun and different. It had also a really sad part. Cause he, all he's, he's trying to do is he's back alive is get back to his life. And, mm-hmm. and he calls his, girlfriend or wife or whatever and she's an old woman at the home now the future yep he was blamed for the plane crash because of course he right. was <laughs> that guy's the worst <laughs> so it was good I, again i was like okay sure jerry oh, totally unexpected. i love yeah. it i love it his image stuff is always way different than you would think you know but then he can go and he can sort of handily do all that sort of marvel stuff at the yeah. same time it's pretty cool Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So as we said before, lots of books this week. Big, big week. And so we thought it only appropriate to bring out the bell. You and the people listening are very excited about this. So it's interesting. A couple of things interesting here. Number one, the last time we did the bell was Pick a Week 849. So I okay. went back and listened to the beginning of the segment just to hear what we said about it. And apparently this is the like fifth year in a row we did the bell at this time of the year. And so apparently there is this one random hmm. week in September or October in which a bunch of books get dumped for no apparent reason. Okay. This happens every year. There's a crazy week in the fall where we have like close to 30 books and we have to bring the bell out. It happens every year. Strange. Hmm. Also strange. We just talked about Paladin of Axes. On that show, you talked about a book called The Roadie Number One about a roadie involving demons. Tim Seeley. Yeah. I remember that. I can't remember anything, but I was like, Tim Seeley. Two roadie-esque books the same week as The Bell. There's a little roadie thing that seems to be happening with the generation of comedy. There's something there. I haven't figured out what it is, but it's definitely showing well, up. Because they're all roadies in the world of entertainment, aren't they? Scumbag was kind of, I mean, like, Ernie wasn't a roadie, but 
You could have seen could him have been. being a roadie. One of those other <laughs> characters must have been. So let's explain the bell for anyone who's a new listener and listened to the last year. The bell is right there. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to put 20 seconds on the clock. We get 20 seconds to talk about a book. The bell will sound. And then the next book has to happen. So 20 seconds. We've got a lot of books to talk about. Mm. And uh, also of strange note is last year I said this same thing I was going to say, which is we're going to talk about like 26 books in the show. Even with all those books, I still have five that I read that aren't on the rundown. That mm. was the exact same number as last year. It's a lot of books. So I'm going to get started with the first one. So I'm going to go three, two, one, start. Firepower, number 28, another book that was in contention for pick of the week. It was a really emotional issue as we as we race towards the final issue of Firepower and number 30. This one has a very dramatic reveal that sort of t- punches you in the gut as the heroes are fighting the final big battle, which doesn't happen issue to issue, but happens as an overview of letters home from the front, like World War II or Civil War people. And it, oh, you're, you're up. What's the furthest place from here? Number 15. I can't help but think that we are zeroing in, zeroing in on the end of this. Um, it definitely feels like their journey is coming to a, uh, a crescendo. Um, and it's kind of good because it's a very weird world that is that is like it's hard to get a finger on it and and now batman the brave and the bold number six this is the same thing as last issue um the only comic that is telling the stories uh from batman that i want to read are is in this batman the brave and the bold in this issue a story written and drawn by guillaume march which looks terrific and it was about batman uh, getting amnesia, waking up in, in in the house of a nurse and her and her daughter, and this sort of forms a bond with them. Uh, Action Comics number ten fifty eight, which I apparently deleted from my. There we go. Uh, uh, the main story was great. It was the thing before, classic Superman story. But let's talk about that backup story with the fucking kids. If I didn't hate the kids before, I fucking hate them. This was terrible. It was the worst comic that I read this week was the backup with, with Bibbo and who, who, who doesn't, or not Bibbo. Fuck. A green arrow number five, which you dropped this week. Funnily enough, mm-hmm. featured the return of Phil Hester to art on green arrow. Oh. You're one of your favorites. He was the one, he was the big green arrow artist in the, during the run. And then in the two thousands and he gets to draw him again as, as this dumb story as green as Oliver Queen. I'm running out of time, but it was Phil Hester. Story's still dumb, isn't it? Captain yeah. America, number seven fifty two or, Two, J. Michael Straczynski, something is good there. Way too many words. There's so many words of people talking about honor and duty and not fascism and whatever. And it, it just, it's, it's, it's him talking to us a lot. But the actual Steve Rogers stuff is very good, which is classic JMS, by the way. Where am I? Uncanny Spider-Man number two. I'm really enjoying this strange and silly story, which Night, I was going to say Nightwing, Nightcrawler, you know, is in hiding from Orcus, so he's doing so wearing one of Spider-Man's old costumes, and his, he's basically like the third Spider-Man of New York, but he's got a tail and a sword, and he's night well, Nightcrawler, but he's wearing the costume, and it's fun. I really like it. It's it's fun. Alpha Flight number three. I've never read Alpha Flight in my life, uh, maybe here or there. Every once in a while, I think, well, you should try Alpha Flight, see if you like it. And I think it's fine. It's a good story, but I don't know who anybody is, and I think that it would help me a lot if I did know and did care. Is it really only Canadians who like this, or is that like like American people like British TV? Like, oh, I love Canadian superheroes. I don't know. Uncanny Avengers number three, uh, Steve Rogers gives one of his patented, awesome Captain America speeches to the world about prejudice and and acceptance and and the, the philosophies of America and the Statue of Liberty. The problem is the art was really really rough and the coloring looked like it was airbrushed. It was just it it broke me. Broke me. Mm. Captain Marvel number 185, or as we know it, following Kelly Thompson's run one. Uh, and to this, I would say, no, thank you. All right, seven seconds. I'm good. Three. Okay, we'll get a little run out. Two. No, thank one. you. <laughs> Jean Grey, number three. Uh, I wanted to mention, so I really liked the first issue. We talked about it. We, I think we both really liked it. Didn't love two as much. Didn't love three as much. I think as they go deeper into X-Men stuff I haven't read before, I'm not into it. But this one went back to the 80s X-Factor run, which I loved. That original team and those awesome costumes. They should bring those costumes back. They were some of the best X-Men costumes. Amazing Spider-Man number 36 or 930. No one asked for this. No one needs rec rap. 
the demon Spider-Man. But at the same time, I was like, all right, lean into it. Have Ed McInnes. Ed McInnes all over the place. And at first I was annoyed, but by the end I was like, what's happening? So I was like, no, thank you. And I was like, but hold on. The Flash, number 802 or two. Uh, yeah, I think this is it for me. And it's hard. I, uh, the Flash, number 50, was, first of all, I have a lot of questions about the numbering, where it comes from. Does it include Wally West's book? Does it include Barry Like, this is all questions I've got. But I've been reading The Flash since junior high school, issue 50, even through the terrible kids stuff, and I don't know what to do. Star Wars Dark Droids D-Squad, number two. I'm just going to make a joke about how the D-Squad is another bad joke waiting to happen. Uh, you know, this whole droid takeover thing is very expansive and is super fun. Uh, R2-D2 is the hero in this one, and that that weird protocol droid who likes to kill people. Whatever. It's part of it. The Immortal Thor, 764, or number three. Again, there's never mm. been a book called The Immortal Thor, so where's the numbering coming from? And this is the question we had on our on the 900th episode. Should the numbering be with the character or the title? There's never been a book called it. Anyway, I don't. I didn't really like this issue. I don't really. I don't know. How I didn't either. Like this. Uh, I like the cut first too, but I don't. I don't. I don't know what to do. They're, here. they're really leaning into like classic Thor, and it's a little. It's a little tiring. Marvel Zombies Black, White, and Blood Number One. Three quick stories um, of the Marvel Zombies universe. Garth Ennis did a, a really great story. Alex Segura did an amazing story. Uh, in the middle of it. I really loved his short story. And then there was another story following that one that I. <laughs> Sorry, you can't talk about it. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number seven, the final issue of this wacky miniseries drawn by Chris Burnham. And I didn't so much love the story, although there were there were some issues that were really good. But I just marveled over the Chris Burnham art every every week. or not, It was not a weekly book. Every month. And no one draws quite like him in that strange, weird, ugly, but beautiful way. It's, it's wonderful. It was a very good chance that Universal Monsters colon Dracula number one uh, written by James Tinian was going to be the patron pick. So I read it and I read it for that reason only. I thought the art was pretty good and I was a little more interested than I expected to be. But that's the most I can say. I, it was it was an interesting book, but um, not again, not my not my not your thing. Finally, Void Rivals number five continues. It's such an odd book. In the best possible way. It, it doesn't follow any conventions. It doesn't hold your hand. But there's a lot going on. The, and the But also, not a lot going on. Like, there's a lot happening, but the main characters really haven't gotten that far in their journey. And it's interesting, and I'm really enjoying it. Robert Kirkman has no problem sticking it to his characters. And that was the bell. Hmm. It's harder to do when you're congested. I hate anything that makes me talk less. Well, you know, that's a challenge. I have things to say, and I can't get there. It's a challenge. <laughs> Yeah. Would you like to add one more thought about one book on the list? No, I'm good. Oh, Captain Marvel number one. <sighs> I think we got your thoughts on that. No, thank you. I, it was, you know what? It was okay. The plot in it, but the dialogue was just driving me crazy. It was kid dialogue. You know, in the episode 900, we were talking about what we should call the new age in comics because it's mm. been too long with the modern age. It was called the jacket age. Everybody gets a jacket. Jamie McKelvey's. Captain Marvel redesign was fantastic. It had no need to be changed whatsoever. She needed a jacket. She needed a little jacket. She didn't need a jacket. She looked great. It didn't look played out. It was a nice take on the old thing. It was still modern. It's in the movies. There is no need to change it. And now she's got a sidekick. This outfit here is going to stick around just as long as Miles Morales' stupid sweatshirt. Or the new uh, Spider-Woman one that, that also had a jacket. It did like an issue and a half. The jacket age. There's this whole thing of like redesigning the the costumes now as if that's going to move the needle at all. Grant Morrison doing a book doesn't move the needle. Changing a jacket doesn't matter. People love jackets. Don't underestimate the jacket lobby. Listen, I love jackets. You know that. I'm pro jacket. <laughs> a but nice cut on a jacket. You could possibly be appealing to in this is the alternate cover people. So they can feel like their covers that they're paying a lot for are worth something for more than a week and a half. It'll be like two weeks instead. There's no reason for it. Jackets. So those are the books we're going to talk about, but at patreon.com slash fanboy. <laughs> Do you remember the Sopranos uh, subplot where Richie April gives uh, <laughs> gives Tony like an ugly leather jacket? No. And then Tony like is like, all right, thanks. And then Richie is over at the house and he sees the cleaning lady's husband wearing the jacket and walking out. And like, that's the thing that pushes him <laughs> over the edge. And at well, one point he, he goes, we hope. 
waving his hand in that stereotypic the jacket. <laughs> The patrons get to vote to add a book to the rundown this week. As Josh mentioned, it was a tight race. It was a one vote win for giant robot Hellboy number one over Universal Monsters Dracula number one. This issue of Hellboy was written by Mike Mignola with art by Duncan Fregredo, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Clem Robbins. It's the all-star team on giant robot Hellboy. I just assumed there would be a co-writer. Because nope. I figure when it says co-writer, what it is is that Mike Mignola goes, yeah, the giant yeah, what robot. What if he fought a vampire? All right, have fun with that. This was terrific. It was. I still think this is going to be a bit of a challenge to talk about. Sure, I'll just say this. Hmm. Duncan Vergredo oh does not God. draw enough. He's he's not appreciated enough at all. He's been sort of in the background of comics the entire time we've been doing this. So I think... I want to say he's a British artist. Like I feel like maybe a better a... looking book this week. You can't. I can't. There are good looking I... books. There's not a better looking book than this one. I really can't. What's? It's very interesting that when people come on to a Hellboy book, Figueroa. I think he was on the main book for a time, like the actual Hellboy book. After was he somebody used to focus on the SketchUp articles that I fanboy? Probably. I think he's amazing and always has been. What's interesting here is that I think a lot of the artists who come on and do a book with Mignola, they adopt his layouts. Mm. Like the, the way that the panels are organized on pages is very Mignola, even though the stuff inside isn't necessarily. Dave Stewart has not been on all of the Hellboy-related stuff that's been coming out over the past right. couple of years. But he is on this one. Uh, by the way, somebody steals Hellboy's soul and puts him into a giant Hellboy <laughs> robot and it fights some shit. That's it. That's a spoiler. There's not a ton of dialogue. I'm, sc- I'm scrolling through this and, you know, there's three or four dialogue balloons per page. If some pages have none, it's, it's not a lot. And that's the way it has to be because... He's a robot. I mean, Duncan Fr- no, but Duncan Fergrito's a god. This, that's Godzilla. Who cares? He doesn't it's, need that dialogue. He nope. doesn't. It's giant Hellboy robot. I don't mean to, like, undercut the review aspect of this, but flip through this. You could take out pretty much every scrap of wording, and you would know exactly what is happening here. You would lose nothing by losing the dialogue. And this isn't to say that it's not well done or anything like that. And that's not a knock. That's just that's telling you that they've done exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. (sighs) They're telling their story visually, and you should be able to remove the dialogue and still know what's happening. If the artist is doing their job. I'm going to say a thing. Mm -hmm. The thing is this. Dave Stewart is easily the best colorist working in comics. Mm -hmm. Every time he shows up, and that is to say nothing about some of the amazing colorists doing lasting genre changing work. You know, your your Jordi Belair, your Michael Matthew Wilson. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like Dave Stewart is the guy. no, No one's even close. He has a million Eisners. He should. He should. I mean, right now, I guess, yeah. you know, he's he's Michael Jordan, right. and like anybody else, you say is great. They're not even close. They they can't even touch him. And it, and and the thing is, is it it is effortless. I don't know what it is that he's doing, but you know the way that his red pops against the rest of the colors that are on there. It's not that like he's picked the greatest red. He's picked the greatest colors and lighting to go around that red. The thing where he glowing hell he's an artist oh he's a thousand percent an artist he is an incredibly talented artist in a very specific way and he might do other things but it just looks through this thing it is flawless every book that he does with hellboy it doesn't matter what the art looks like you're instantly in there it's like a john williams score on a star wars movie it it puts you exactly where you need to be and it is so impressive he has 10 eisners for best colorist including five years in a row 2007 to 2011. The ones that he didn't win were because they were like, this isn't okay for everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, we, you know, there, and Dave was like, the other thing, like, Dave was cool with it. It's, it's fine. It's cool. Yeah, whatever, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. He colored New Frontier. And look, we talked about the great Camus Murray's coloring on Wonder Woman and Jean Francois Bellieu on, like, there's some great colors, but he's oh, the best. It's not even a contest. It's not a controversial thing right. we're saying here. This was like when we were talking about, when we were trying to do our HBO show talk, you know, and, and it was like, let's just leave Band of Brothers out of this. Because that's what it is. And Ron couldn't get around that, but. I love that when he woke up in a robot body, he just, son of a, like, it's not even yep. like, that's not the reaction you think you have. It's like something that, what else is going on? Now I'm a robot? 
I love that Hellboy is, and it's, I mean, it's been consistent, it's not new, but his deal is that he's just so used to this bullshit <laughs> that nothing like frightens him or stuns him. It's just like, you know, like if you're like in the, in the kitchen in the morning and you're, you're making, you know, breakfast and you, and you drop something on the floor and it's out of, you go, ah, that's everything right. to Hellboy. That's waking up in a worry about body. If that had been the only dialogue balloon, this might've been the pick of the week. That's a really good point. I agree with you. That, that would be excellent. Ah, crap. He's got a big Hellboy robot hand. He's got the stump horns on the robot head. Like, they, they went all the details. They didn't skimp on the details. Let me ask you a question, and I don't care about the answer. <laughs> who, who did this to him and why? <laughs> like, were they bad guys? I don't were know. Were they people on his side? It, I, I don't care. Like, literally, it's all just an excuse to look at the visuals, which is not how yeah, comic books sure. should work, but... I don't know what happened. Bunch of British people. Turn him into a robot. Michael Caine's there. 60s Michael Caine is definitely there. 60s Michael Caine. It's true. You're only supposed to blow the bloody horns off. Yeah. He retired. He did. That wasn't a good Michael Caine, but that's because my kids are sleeping, and you can only do that if you do it loud. If you do I'm looking forward to his final film. I'm, gonna, I'm going to weep. I'm going to weep. Mm-hmm. All right. Giant Robot Hellboy, number one. Ratings. Five. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> I don't even care. It's on its Sticking own scale. It. It's a three-issue mini, if yes, I am. Yeah, please. It could be a 12-issue mini series, I'd stick with it. Sure. It's fine. It's good. Patreon.com slash, slash iFanboy. If you're a patron, you can vote every week to, to uh, add a book to the rundown. And that's Patreon.com slash iFanboy is the way people help support the show. If you're listening to the show, if you've been listening, if you're a brand new listener, if your listener has been around for the last 18 years and you think that we bring value to your comic book reading experience, you think we bring entertainment to your week, then I uh, hope you consider supporting the show because that's how it keeps going. That's how the bills get paid. The lights get turned on or kept on, turned on and kept on. Uh, they got to turn on eventually. It gets dark. And that's how eventually I'm going to be able to afford to get a new iPad because this one's starting to smoke. So thanks for supporting us. If you are a, a patron, you can go there. You can unlock great shows for the community. That's how you listen to the media explodes and the books explodes, the talks explodes. They were all unlocked by the patrons. They have a great Discord community. They've got a Facebook community, which I assume exists, and we are we are constantly being burned in effigy on. And then we have the monthly patron hangout, which we just had this past weekend. That's what the patrons get to do, along with other things. It's fun. We got tier exclusive merchandise. They get t-shirts and they get sweatshirts and they get tote bags and they get posters and mugs and all kinds of fun stuff. And so check it out. Patreon.com slash FAMO. You can be a patron for as little as one dollar a month. Even that one dollar helps. FAMO.threadless.com is our t-shirt store. You can find our 13 designs there. You could get them on other things, but really, mainly people use them to get T-shirts. Sometimes skateboard skateboard decks. I said that phrase and it sounded wrong to me. Mm-hmm. In, in the middle of my brain, pulled the ripcord, said nope, but I brought it back. By the way, if there's a chance that anybody decides that they want to send a skateboard to me from our from our items again, uh, I, I ride an eight point. What are the odds it happens twice? I'm just saying, if it does, I need an eight point five. It's there's a little. Do you narrow. have a preference on design? No, actually, to tell you the truth, the way that they put the graphics on those boards, mm-hmm. they print it all on top of it. It's not like painted on a board like a regular board, so it, uh, it kind of peels off if you actually skate it. So it's more for display than, than use. It's more of a wall. I mean, it's a real skateboard. You can skate it, but... No, I'm saying for the design, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where are we? com slash support is our digital tip jar. If you were that person who just won $2 billion, you know, consider throwing in 40 or $50 million. You're not even going to notice it. You know, and by the way, whatever you give us, don't skimp, but you should also give at least double that amount to something that's actually worth a damn. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There's lots of charity organizations right there that are helping people all around the world right now and could use that money just in addition. Yeah. Give them more. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But give us a lot. (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah, for sure. We're good people. Connor's a really good person, like unequivocally. But give them more. Fanboy.com slash Amazon. Don't skimp on us. Just give that more. Links to, right. you can find the Booksplode links and you can find a shopping link at that at that location. Finally, bookshop.org. That's our partner who help local bookshop shops out. You can find those links on our Booksplode posts. I just use bookshop.org to buy the MCU book that just came out. Looking behind the scenes at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm excited to read that. So check that out. We're available. I thought for sure we'd be short, but we're not. So let's do the patron power patreon.com again if you give it the five dollar or higher level if you're a patron of that level you get a superpower live on the show is it awesome sometimes is it weird often last it's, week i heard it, was all weird last week was it well no, it was bad got I, weird I, it, it was, yeah 
but in a bad way. Not when like I heard it got weird, I assumed it was a Paul power. No, no. That's what I wrote on the spreadsheet, and you were like, "No, sir, that was my power." Mm-hmm. So you you still have the ability to surprise me even after eighteen years. Jeff. I don't apologize. This week's patron, Mike Bostick. Mike Bostick immediately knows the truth behind conspiracy theories. That's very useful. The thing is, the sad thing is, no one would listen to him. Right, but he usually he immediately goes, "Oh, the fucking chemtrails." He knows the truth. Mind control fluoride. (laughs) Listen, I hate to tell you, Bill Gates isn't doing shit. (laughs) Someone turn on the microchip. Mm -hmm. I need some help. Well, that's 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 good for him. Mike would be like, "Yeah, the microchip is real. It's right behind your your earlobe." Wouldn't that blow you? Wouldn't that blow your mind? The thing about Mike is, you don't know if he's telling you the truth. Oh, because he's a liar. He could be. Occasionally, he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to fuck with these guys. Right. You're not going to believe me anyway, so. Yeah. It's fine. You could really take advantage of a lot of things with that, I think, because knowing the truth of what's going on, then you would know, you know, how to play the angles. True. True. Yeah. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can become a patron at $5 high level. Like Mike Bostick. I do want to do one email here. Get on with it. When it came in, I was very excited to do it with you. So let's do Dan C's email. At the comic shop today, the owner of my LCS tried to sort out which books were for my 13-year-old son, Spawn, Moon Knight, and which were for both of us, Nisagi Yajimbo, and which were just for me. This led him to declare that Astro City is, and I quote, the most 45-year-old man comic that ever existed. I will happily stipulate that Spawn is best appreciated by middle schoolers, but is Astro City really the most 45-year-old comic out there? If not, what is? This question has haunted me for five hours and 22 minutes as of this writing. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say. I mean, uh, Connor and I really enjoyed this comic when we were 25. But I think most people could say about me, realistically, I've always been 45. <laughs> you finally hit your stride. I don't, I, I really, I never felt comfortable until I was at least 30. It is true. I, I did think the same thing you just said when you know, first read the email is that, Yes, we like this book now, but we also really loved this book when it came out when we were in our early 20s. So explain that, Dan C's LCS guy. I think that I enjoyed it then, but I don't think that I was able to appreciate it in the same way that I am now, which is sort of in a world where everything is trying to reinvent and shock or just just t- put a twist on whatever. This book doesn't do that. This book gives you the thing that you want. This is the five guys of superhero comic books. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this is this is done really well. It's not necessarily amazing, but right. it so understands what it is and what it is doing. But it also is all about the history of comics and Yes. You have to have some sort of knowledge of what he's referencing or riffing on. You can enjoy it without that, but it's really meant for that. And further, people who are 45-ish and have been reading comics for their adult lives, would have been around for Kurt Busiek's heyday. Sure. And so in that way, it's also true. Like, if you think about it, like, you've got Alex Ross, you've got, I mean, you had Brandon Anderson up to a certain point. You know, it was all, like, if you read comics in the, you know, late 90s, which is, you know, if you're 45, that was the spot. Yep. Like, this is those things. And so... Yes. I mean, this would be like, you know, like a, a band that was all comprised of like the big people in grunge. You know, it's 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 right. for old people. I mean, to a certain extent, everything Marvel and DC does is for 45 year olds. That's kind of what I was thinking when he was saying it. But, but well, it's not it's not everything. But I think no, not things, everything, not everything, things, obviously not everything. Right. But the thing because the stuff that isn't like I don't know if you uh, did you read Captain Marvel one? Like that's <laughs> not actually but, but what I mean by it that is like it's in your craw. It wasn't really that bad, but I, I I loved Kelly Thompson so much that I was just like... Yeah. Listen, it was a hard act to follow. Yes, it I was. I don't envy the creators at all. And they had to do a different thing or whatever. But the, the point being, like, there are comics that Marvel and DC do, and we talk about them all the time, that are intended to appeal to an audience that is not us, which is a thing they totally have to do because we are going to die or stop reading comics. They need to do that. The thing right. is, they're not good at it, and they're not making those people read them, so stop doing it. <laughs> to a certain extent, you know what I mean. Like to a certain I, I extent, who, you got to know your audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish the comics audience was comprised of people who really liked the craft, and but it's not. It's people who want to read the superheroes that they've always read. Again, so 
X-Men is 45-year-olds comic. Like, that's what it is. Do I feel personally attacked by Dan C's LCS guy? Yes. Is he wrong? He's not totally wrong, but I, I, I do. I he's mean, not wrong. He's not wrong, but that's only because the audience is aging. So, like, when we were in mm-hmm. our t- early 20s, it was still one of our favorite books. Mm-hmm. So, explain that. Well, I just did for me. I can't, I can't tell about you. I said it's not necessarily wrong, but I said at the same time, I've, I've been enjoying it. But, I, but I guess the like point, it, the point is this, the point is this, probably no one reading that book now is not 45 and did not grow up reading the book. Right. And reading Kurt Busiek in his sort of heyday. And someone's probably saying, oh, I'm 24 and I love it. Great. But let me ask statistics you, statistics say, what's your favorite band? The, because if you say Alice in Chains, you're 45, no matter what your license says. Right. Here, here's the thing though. Comic book writer or comic, or the, sorry, the LCS guy, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. Because he zinged you, and he zinged us, and he made us all think about it. So he hit some kind of nerve. He made us think about our mortality, jerk. Yeah. Well, get By the way, we know Dan. Dan's the one who got us on that podcast game show. Oh. Thanks, Dan, for writing in. Thanks for your, your interaction. Why is your LCS son game. reading Spawn? Oh, his son loves Spawn. He talks about the Discord all the time. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's, that's on you, because there's no Contact- way Spawn was finding its way into that house outside of a 45-year-old person bringing it in. Contact at ifanboy.com is how Dan wrote in. Thanks for writing in. If you want to get into our Mediasplode show also, you can write there, and I'll put Mediasplode in the title. We're trying to figure out what the format for the final Mediasplode of the year is going to be. It may be a mailbag, so just consider that as you write in. You'll have some time to do so, but we, we do need to figure out what the format is going to be, if it's going to be a mailbag, so we can give you some time to write in. Speaking of, as we'll talk about other shows we've got going on, out now on the feed, you can go back two shows and find our Booksplode of Death Superman 30th Anniversary Edition. Did you see that ad in the DC Books this week about a Return of Superman 30th Anniversary comic coming out next week? I'm very excited about that. No, I didn't see it. <laughs> you just, every DC book started with it. You just scrolled right past it. Yep. It's okay. It's okay. I don't even see ads. Some people don't see race. I don't see ads. <laughs> so <laughs> yours is slightly less useful for good of society. Media Explode, Killers of the Flower Moon Review, plus a discussion about three-hour movies. That's right behind this show on the feed. Came out just this past week. Josh started the show, left in the middle because he didn't see the movie yet. He will see the movie by the time this show is aired. But he wasn't there, so he left, and he comes back for the movie discussion. But we edited out all the awkwardness of him leaving and coming back. And then, next week, this coming week, this coming week, Josh should have a Talksplode. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's in the It's it's not in the can yet, so we're not going to say who it is, but that's That's the rule. I realized today that no one puts anything in a can anymore. You know, uh, that's when they used to put like real to real tape. Night. Most of that stuff. What I'm saying is media wise. That's when they used to put real to real tape in a can. I see. Or they put film in a can from the camera. Now it's just there's no can, but we still say it. Like Alan Shepard said, feel like spamming a can up here. We actually learned in college how to cut real to real tape. Never once had that happen in real life. It's cool though. It was cool. Yeah, I got a perfect score on it. <laughs> I'm definitely didn't because it required dexterity and like fine motor skills and patience. I have some of those, but not all at once. Later this month. So now we're November, by the way. Well, no, this show's coming out and still it'll still be October, but we're getting to November. We'll have a media split. Like I said, it's either going to be a, a year in mailbag or something else. We haven't decided yet. And then uh, later at the end of November, we'll have our final book split of the year. The first four books of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles saga, the original Eastman Laird books, those black and white classics, which I have not read all of. I've read two of the four books in my lifetime, so this is all new to me. Oh, cool. I'm excited for that. And that's what you can... Oh, I guess I still go. Our library of over 1,300 shows and counting is over at fanboy.com. That's where you can find all of our old podcasts, all 902 episodes, plus all of our special edition shows, which mean, which shows you there's about 400 of those over at fanboy.com. You can follow us at fanboy Comics on Instagram to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. And sometimes the best of the week in panels feature along the weekends. And individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram. And J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Me. Currently, the only place you can find us on the internet is on Instagram. Unless you're on threads, and I don't know about it. Uh, no. No. I can't. I can't. I can't. If I can't do it. If I do it, I do it too much, and uh, and it's it's sad. Subscribe to YouTube.com slash iFanboy, or just go to that URL. I guess you should. I. You know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to implore you to subscribe. Yep. I don't know. I'm not going to be upset if you don't. I'm not even going to check. You'll find all of our old video shows there. We post this show every week. If we had done these video shows in the day of real TikTok, forget it. It'd be over. We'd be killing it. But 
We are too early for everything our entire lives. We're the wrong kind of pioneers. That's what we are. If you want to write a review on this show, if you want to give a, is it a thumbs up? It's a thumbs up on, on YouTube, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to, yeah. Or, it's a like uh, or button. A, a like. Which is represented by a thumb. thumbs up. I'll look at that in a second. Consider uh, you can do that. You can write reviews for the show on the places where you write reviews for podcasts or give it a star rating, whatever it is that you do. Do that thing. That's it. That's the show. Let's be done. I'm done. That's it. I'm out. Thanks for listening. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the bell. And the sound of the bell means the show's over. So we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye, sir.